You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. Today we come to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, part one. It's a two-part series, two-part study. But today we'll be talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I want to start off with a word of prayer this morning, and then we will jump into it. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the privilege that it is, Lord, to meet together and to worship you, and Lord, to lift you on high and to exalt you in our hearts, Lord, and to remember that we are not God, but you are. And Lord, that we come to this place, to this house, Lord, not to focus on ourselves, but to learn about you and to grow closer to you and to exalt you. And Lord, we pray that today, as the word of God is taught, that you would bring clarity and understanding, that your Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us in the truth. Lord, because your word is truth. And Father, we thank you that you sanctify us as we hear the word. We thank you that our faith is grown as we hear your word being taught. And Lord, we pray today that you would help us to come to the word with open hearts and open minds, Lord, to love you with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, and all our strength. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Today we're going to be talking about something, an experience that we find in Scripture that I believe is so important, that I believe is so needful in the life of the believer. It's the experience that changed everything for the followers of Jesus Christ. Those 120 men and women that were gathered together in the upper room, waiting for the promise from the Father. And men whose lives before this day and night, or before that time of waiting and the giving of the promise of the Father, men that were confused, men that were frightened, Men that were ashamed to speak publicly in the name of Jesus Christ. Men that, were, that fled on the night of Jesus Christ's arrest became totally different men after this experience in their lives. They became men who boldly and publicly proclaimed salvation. They became men that were not afraid to go into new lands and new cultures And to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. They were men who were able to overcome sin. So that they might be witnesses to the world around them. Not saying that they never sinned again. But they were able to overcome those sins that dominate a person's life. Into which we habitually are chained to and and, 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 and subject to. How did that happen? Well, it happened because they were partakers of that experience that the Bible calls the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit, it uses three different Greek words to describe the relationship of the Holy Spirit to the believer. First of all, the Holy Spirit is with the believer, or with the world, so to speak. We talk about that in John chapter 16, verse 17. I'm sorry, John chapter 14 and verse 17, when Jesus promised his disciples that he was going to send them 
the comforter, the paraclete, and that the paraclete would be with, para, para, with the world, convicting them of sin, righteousness, and the, the, the judgment that is to come. But then the second relationship that the Bible talks about is that the Holy Spirit will be in the believer. Jesus talks about this. The simple Greek word is en, in. And he says that the life of the believer will be filled or the, the, dwell, the Holy Spirit will dwell in the believer. Now, as you can see, I filled this cup to its complete full point. This is the picture of what happens when we believe the good news. The moment that we believe the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit regenerates us. We are born again. And we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. But there is a third relationship the Bible describes in which the Holy Spirit comes upon the believer. And we're going to talk about that tonight. That experience is called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, I'm about to fall off the stage with a pitcher of water in my hand. That'd make church real fun, wouldn't it? It'd be amazing. But that third relationship, the Greek word is epi. And it means to come upon, to overwhelm, to flood, to drench. And that's when the Holy Spirit comes and he pours himself out upon the life of the believer so that he begins, out of him flows rivers of living water. I promise not to pour too much water because I'll make a mess. But you get the picture, right? As I'm pouring into that glass, it's now flowing over. And that is what Jesus talked about. In John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39, if you have your Bible, please read along with me. As it says there, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Not a trickle. Not a couple of drops will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. This is the experience that we are going to be talking about for the next two Sundays. Today and next Sunday. We're going to look at what the Bible teaches about this. And listen, I realize that this might make you uncomfortable. Depending on your background and how you were raised and what you were taught, this might make you uncomfortable. For there are those that grow up believing that the the days of the gifts of the Spirit and the pouring out of the Spirit, that those are over. That that doesn't happen today. That that was an apostolic experience, the foundational apostles, and no more. That in the days of the early church, that happened, but now we don't need that anymore. That the indwelling of the Spirit is enough when we believe we receive that baptism of the Spirit into the family of God. That's it. But then there are others that might be uncomfortable here this morning because you've been on the far other extreme of that. Where you've been to churches where everything is, is free. There's freedom, you know, and it's, you know, people are sliding into home base in the service, you know, and doing the funky cockroach on their back and laughing and crying and screaming and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And it's wild. 
And you get home from church and you're like, man, I need to take a shower, you know. I just sweated and ran around, ran laps, you know, and it was wild. It was a crazy experience. But it's all about that. It's an experience. It's a fleshly based experience. The spirit that is moving is not the Holy Spirit, but it is the spirit of human beings that are worked up in an excited frenzy. And it's not from the Lord. And so we have people from all of those different walks here today. But we've got to find the biblical stance on this experience. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. So let's start with point number one. If you have your outline, I'd encourage you to pull that out and to follow along with us. You can fill in the blanks as we go. The very first point that we'll be looking at today is what is it called? What is it called? Because I've heard it be called so many different things. Well, let's start off with the negative. What is it not called? Okay, it is not, number one, a second work of grace. It is not a second work of grace. That's an expression that is never used in the Bible, although there are certain churches and denominations that use this expression as if it were in the Bible. But listen, it is not a second work of grace. Listen, the Bible teaches that there is one continual growth in grace. That when God gets a hold of our life and we're regenerated, that is the work of grace and it never ends. It's a continual work of grace that will happen in our lives until we die. Because we're never going to be perfect. We're always going to need grace. We're always going to need to fall back on it. So that's not a second work of grace. Secondly, it is not the second blessing. It is not the second blessing. Again, that's a term that's used among certain churches. But it is not a biblical term. Of course, we know that God has many blessings for those that believe in Him and have a relationship with Him. But we should, we should come to expect and desire all of those blessings, not just a second blessing. Because if there's a second blessing, that implies there's a third and a fourth as well. But listen, there are many, many blessings, myriad, multitudes of blessings for the life of the believer. We should desire all of them. Listen, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is never called the second blessing in Scripture. Thirdly, it is not sanctification. Sanctification, like grace, is a progressive, continual work in the life of the Christian. There are three aspects of sanctification, according to the Bible. There is uh, positional sanctification, which means that in the moment you believe the good news about Jesus Christ, your position in Christ is secure. God doesn't see you anymore as a sinner, but you have been justified by Christ, by His works, by the work of the cross. And when God sees you, you are no longer a sinner. He sees you as a saint, perfect in Christ. That's, 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 pres- or that's positional sanctification. But not only that, there's progressive sanctification. The Bible teaches progressive, that we're all works in progress. We're all a work in progress, guys. We're under construction until the day we die. And then there's that future work of sanctification when all the promises that God has given us concerning salvation, redemption, the immortal, uh, I'm sorry, the, the immortality, when all of those come to pay off, okay? One of my favorite uh, bands that I used to listen to back in the 90s, right, was Payable on Death. And that name, Payable on Death, it, it, the, the guys in that band, they're all Christian, solid Christian guys, not all of them, but the lead singer is definitely a solid Christian man. But he chose that name because 
of the promise that salvation, the sanctification, all of that promise that, 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 that pertain to that are payable on death. When we die, we step into the presence of the Lord and we experience future sanctification. We're glorified, in other words. But sanctification nor holiness should be confused with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Holiness is a characteristic of the Christian life. It has nothing to do with the baptism of the Holy Spirit other than that it may be helped by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now we come to uh, part B. What is it then? Or it is, number one, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's what it is. It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now how do we know that? Because scripture tells us that. Now listen, I realize that this has fallen under fire because of the confusion of the terms. But let's clarify today what it is. Because it comes from scripture itself. Matthew 3 verse 11 says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. This is John the Baptist speaking. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I. Whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Also Mark chapter 1 and verse 8 says, For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So listen, we have, uh, and we could go on from there, all of the Gospels record this saying. All of them. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's in all four Gospels. It's that important. Not only that, Jesus affirms this phrase when he says in Acts chapter 1 verse 5, Acts chapter 1 verse 5 says, For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now notice a couple of things with me. This is different from the baptism of the Holy Spirit into the forever family of God that we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. We looked at that when we talked about the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. He regenerates. And part of that work of regeneration is is that he baptizes the believer into the family of God. But totally separate from that now is Jesus Christ baptizing you with the Holy Spirit. Totally separate. In one, the Holy Spirit baptizes into the family of God. In this, we see it as Jesus Christ baptizing you with the Holy Spirit. Totally different, guys. Now, if Matthew... Peter, John, Luke, and, and Jesus all speak of this experience as being baptized by the Holy Spirit, then this is its scriptural name. Now the Greek word for baptize in all of these name, verses is baptizo. Okay? Every time you see that in the New Testament, baptize, it's baptizo. And that means to immerse, to overwhelm, to be flooded. Okay, the idea is, is that you're drenched. That's why we believe in water baptism with full immersion, okay? Because of this word, baptizo. Now, the Holy Spirit baptizing us, Jesus baptizing us with the Holy Spirit, that means that he comes upon the believer's life in such a way that he overwhelms, he drenches, he floods, okay? He comes into, uh, uh, upon us and we are now overflowing and we're flowing out those rivers of life that Jesus talked about in John chapter 7. So let's look at exactly what it is now that we've looked at what it is called. Now I want to look at the definition of the doctrine itself, what it is not. Let's start with the negatives there again. 
looking at it neg- uh, from, from this standpoint first. So it is not regeneration. Okay, this is where a, a lot of uh, denominations make a confusion. They, there's an error here. It's not regeneration. Remember that we talked about this briefly when we spoke about the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. The baptism of the Spirit is not the new birth, but rather it is a work that is subsequent to and distinct from being born again. Let me repeat that. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not the new birth, but rather it is a work that is subsequent to and distinct from the, or the, the, the actual moment of being born again. In other words, there are believers who have been regenerated. They've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. And they have been made a part of the body of Christ. But they've never experienced being baptized by the Holy Spirit. The Bible shows us that this is possible. Think about the disciples. The disciples in John chapter 1, 35 through 50. We read that Jesus Christ came to save them. He is the ladder between heaven and earth. And that that is the way that they're saved. Okay, That's revealed there. Luke chapter 10 verse 20. It talks about the the, the disciples having been believers in him. In John chapter 13 verses 10 through 11. Jesus didn't wash the disciples because he said, You already have a part with me. You're already part of me. In other words, is what he was saying there. And then in John chapter 15 and verse 3, we read again that they were abiding in him. That the disciples were abiding in him. So they were believers, guys. They were converted during Christ's ministry. They, they had even received the Holy Spirit according to John chapter 20, verses 21 and 22. Jesus breathed on them and they received the Spirit. Yet, Jesus commanded them to wait for the promise of the Comforter, who Jesus would send to them. And when he did, on the day of Pentecost, they were instantly filled with the Spirit a long time after they had been believers in Jesus Christ. Second example here, Samaritans. The Samaritans in Acts chapter 5, verses 5 through 17. Again, we don't have time to look at all of these scriptures today. So you can take this study guide home and become a Berean. And search the scriptures and find out for yourselves if what I'm saying is true. But the Samaritans were saved. When they believed the good news of Jesus Christ that was preached to them by Philip when he arrived in their city. However, the scriptures tell us they were filled with the Holy Spirit many days later when Peter and John came and laid their hands upon them and prayed for them. A third example is Paul. Paul, in Acts chapter 9, you remember he was converted to Christ on the road to Damascus in the midst of being a persecutor. He gets knocked off of his horse by a shining bright light. He sees a vision of the resurrected Lord Jesus. In that moment, he becomes a believer. He's converted. And yet it was not until three days later that he was filled by the Holy Spirit after Ananias, a Christian man from the church in Damascus, came to his house and prayed over Paul. And it says that in that moment, he was filled with the Spirit and scales dropped from his eyes and he could see again. And then Acts chapter 4, the 12 men in Ephesus, Paul the apostle on his second missionary journey comes upon 12 men in the city of Ephesus that were believers according to Paul's own words. He says in Acts 19 verse 2, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? 
Okay, so Paul, Paul says, look, you, you're believers. Did you receive the Spirit when you believed? And they said, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. So they had been baptized, according to the scriptures here, they had been baptized under John the Baptist's baptism of repentance. Paul explains to them they need to be baptized in the name of Jesus. They are. Then he lays his hands on them and prays for them. And guess what? The Holy Spirit comes upon them just like he did at the day of Pentecost with the 120 in the upper room. So there are four examples of scripture right there that show us a subsequent work to salvation and distinct from the work of regeneration, which the Holy Spirit does. So it is not regeneration, nor is it sanctification. Now, we already touched on this here. We know that sanctification is an, it's both an instantaneous work because of our position in Christ, the moment we believe, but then it is also a continual or progressive work in the life of the believer as he's molded and shaped to be more like Jesus. See, say amen this morning if you're in that process. Okay, some of you are awake still. You're going to need your thinking caps today. We're covering some deep truth, and, and it's not going to be easy to follow along, but that's why you've got your study guides, okay? You can always come back to it later. But listen, guys, we are not, uh, uh, er, 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 this baptism of the Holy Spirit is not sanctification. We need to realize it is not the same thing. Thirdly, it's not a special reward. You know, Pastor Chuck Smith, who's the founder of the Calvary Chapel movement, now in heaven with the Lord, But he shares a story from his life of how he witnessed other Christians who were not really as sold out as he was. (laughs) They weren't as sold out for the Lord as he was. They were doing things in his own words that he was, you know, they were smoking and going to the movies. (laughs) Which back in Pastor Chuck's day, that was a big no-no to go to the movies. So we've come a long way. Can I get an amen? No. Uh, But Pastor Chuck, witnessing these people around him. And he shares what in his mind what he was thinking. He says, here are people who are smoking, going to the movies, and all this other unholy stuff, and yet they're being baptized by the Spirit. And I'm not. <laughs> he says, Lord, I don't smoke. I don't go to the movies. I'm living for you. How come you're not blessing me with this experience that I deserve more than they do? Then you know what? He realized something. You realize, hey, this is not a reward for being morally upright. The baptism of the Spirit is not a reward for walking with Jesus for five years or more, okay? It's not a reward, guys. It is a gift. Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter preaching there on the day of Pentecost, he says, Repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It is a gift, guys, not a reward. Now let's look at what it is. What it, what it is. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is, number one, available today. Available today. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 16, again, the day of Pentecost, Peter standing up, he's preaching a sermon. And this is how he begins that sermon in verse 16. He says, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Notice that Peter didn't say, now here is fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Joel. He in no way mentions that Joel's prophecy is fulfilled in the complete sense. But rather he says, this is what was spoken by. Now this left his listeners 
as well as us today, the readers of the book of Acts, to expect more of the same. That we're to expect more of these similar experiences in the lives of those who believe. If you study the New Testament scriptures, you'll notice that whenever a prophecy from the Old Testament prophets is fulfilled, they'll say so. They'll use language that is definitive and final, letting us know that this prophecy is definitely fulfilled. Study the book of Matthew sometime. Matthew does it many times, telling us that prophecies about Jesus Christ have been fulfilled. But Peter never says that. He just stands up and says, this is what was spoken of, guys. So we can come, or this prophecy leaves us to expect there will be many more experiences like it until Joel's prophecy is finally and completely fulfilled. First of all, there, it is an experience that is subsequent to and sometimes simultaneous with salvation. We've already talked about that several times this morning. I just want to make sure that you know, I've listed some scriptures there. We've already talked about them. But you can see on several occasions, it was the experience of the persons involved that the baptism of the Spirit was subsequent to their salvation. And then in, in one instance, there in Acts chapter 10, verse 44, it says that it happened at the same time. It was simultaneous with their belief in the good news of Jesus Christ. So sometimes it's subsequent, sometimes it's simultaneous. We can't put God in a box. And then secondly here, we see that it is a gift from the Father and Son. It is a gift from the Father and Son. Uh, We already read Acts 2.38. Let me read Acts 5.32 to you. It says, We are His witnesses to these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. So listen, guys. It should be becoming clear to us at this point that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a gift. It's not earned. It's not based on you having favor with God or something like that or living a super holy life or being a mature believer. It is a gift that is not earned and it is given to those that are obedient, that those are committed to following Jesus. Those that have a desire to serve the Lord, in other words. And we see in there, in other words, when I say that, when I say those that obey him, let me clarify, you don't earn that by, being, by saying, okay, I'm committed to the Lord, I'm really wanting this, but rather, the obedience part is that you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's something that God gives, and we receive, okay? We're the passive participants in that, not, not us you know, doing good works so that we can prove that we're committed or something like that. Thirdly, it is a command for every believer A command for every believer. Flip over to Ephesians 5 if you would. This is one thing that I would like you to see in your own Bible this morning. So flip over to Ephesians in chapter 5. And if you like to write in your Bible, I encourage you to underline this verse. It's a great verse to underline and to keep a tab on it. In fact, Ephesians 5 is a great chapter, great book. But notice what Paul the Apostle says in this verse. He says, Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, or with the Spirit. Now I want you to notice something about that verse. If you're one that writes in your Bible, circle those words, be filled. That together is a command in the Scripture. It's also a verb 
Be filled is the verb, is the word, pleireo, pleireo, I'm sorry, pleirao, pleirao in the Greek language. But what's important about it is that 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 very word is used multiple times in the book of Acts to describe the experience of the Holy Spirit filling the lives of believers. That's what's important about this word, pleirao, be filled. You see it? Multiple times throughout the book of Acts as the Holy Spirit fills the lives of believers for what? The work of service. We're going to talk about that in a minute some more. But notice with me as well that that word, the command, be filled, that's a verb. And it has three different tenses on there. It's present tense, passive, and imperative. All at one time. And the, the, the present is it meaning that this is a continual action. This is something that is supposed to be continual in the life of the believer. We are continuously being filled, in other words. We could read that verse, be being filled, continuously. Second of all, it's passive, meaning that you and I are not the ones that are acting on it, but we are the recipients. It is God who is the actor. We are passive in this being filled. So that tells us that we have to have an attitude of surrender. An attitude of making ourselves available to the Lord for this to happen. And then thirdly, there it's imperative, meaning this is a command. The Apostle Paul is giving a command to every believer in the church of Jesus Christ that you are to be being continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. To not do so, to not surrender your life to the Spirit in this way is to be disobedient to the command of Ephesians 5.11, in other words. Now you might be wondering, okay, what's the big deal? Why do we need this, Phil? What is so important about it that it's even commanded in Scripture that we would be being continuously filled? Play rao. What is so meaningful and significant about this? Listen, if you've ever tried to live the Christian life like I have and fallen short on your face, fallen flat in sin and realized that it is impossible to please God in your flesh, then this is for you. This experience is meant for you. Okay? Now, I'm not saying that the difference is, is that once this happens, you never sin again. Okay? But what I am saying is that it is the Holy Spirit's power that lifts us up and gives us the ability, the supernatural ability to live for God on this earth and to overcome sin. And we're going to talk about four things that are listed right here in our notes this morning. We need this. We need to be desperate for this. Why do we need this? Why should we be desperate for this? Because, A, it gives us power for service. Power for service. If you look at Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, very quickly, you read there that Jesus says to the disciples that you will receive power which, or when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. There's that word, upon. It's epi. Remember? Overflowing. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, for what? He says, to be, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. So the purpose for this power from on high that it was the promise of the Father which was going to come upon them, overflow them, was so that they could be witnesses of the truth in the places where God was going to be sending them out. 
So listen, we can't be witnesses to the world around us unless we have been filled with the Spirit like this. And, and then you know what else is I find that I wake up in the flesh most days and I need to be continually being filled, just like Ephesians 5 says. Coming to the Lord and saying, Lord, fill me again because I'm leaking. I'm leaking all over the place. I'm making a mess in this world. I'm making a mess in my house. I'm making a mess with my wife and my kids right now. And I need you to empower me to live the Christian life, to be a witness. So number one is for service. But B, it's power for spiritual warfare. Power for spiritual warfare. You guys, we cannot say enough about the war that is happening unseen to our physical eyes. There's a spiritual war going on in your life, guaranteed. Because Satan hates the fact that you're redeemed and that you're going to heaven. He hates the fact that you're married if you're in a marriage today. And he's trying to do all he can to make that marriage marred. So that he can mar the institution that God created that speaks and reflects of the love of God unconditional for his people. If you have children here today, you are under attack because Satan does not want your kids to learn of the truth. And to walk in the ways of God. And so you're under spiritual attack and so we need the Holy Spirit for spiritual warfare. Because I don't have power in and of myself. Man, I'm, I'm fighting an enemy that's got all the latest guns and technology. And I know I can't take him out on my own. Listen, if you've ever had experience with demonic possession, then you know you need the power of the Holy Spirit. Many of us today in America don't know what that's like, but it's real. And we need power from the Spirit for spiritual warfare in our lives See, we also need power for impacting others. Again, overflow happens as you are flowing out, as the life of God that's being poured into you is being flowing out. And D, we need power for ability. Power for ability. God gives us supernatural abilities, guys, to do things that we can't do in and of our own strength, like overcome sin, (laughs) overcoming uh, pornography, Let's talk about that for one second because that is a sin that is uh, plaguing our society today, including the church. Men and women alike enslaved to it. And, and, and it's ruining things on a much deeper level than they realize. And yet the power is available through the Spirit of God to break that chain. And not just that chain, many other chains. You know, we're facing so many different problems in our culture today in America, aren't we? We've got racism happening all over the place. Okay, we've got, uh, uh, we've got the Hurricane Harvey happening, natural disasters. We've got a sexual revolution taking place in our culture today. There's so many different things happening that we need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to be able to be a witness, the supernatural ability. Listen, He's the answer. You know, God is the one who's got the answers for this stuff, and we can't do it in our own flesh. And thinking that we're going to do it is pridefulness on ourselves. Fourth point today, very quickly, we're just skim through this. Who's it for? Who's it for? A, it is not only for those who lived in the days of Acts. It's not only for those who lived in the days of Acts. You know what? <laughs> 
Calvary Chapel was birthed in the midst of a revival, wasn't it? It was birthed in the midst of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in what was called the Jesus Movement, a documented historical revival, renewal of the faith. When the Christian church is being called to stand up and truly be what we're supposed to be in the world. Now that all happened in days past. I wasn't a part of that. I'm a millennial by two years, just so that you know. And I'm proud of it. I just want, I want you guys to know that. It's only according to some studies, though, okay? According to others, I'm Generation X. But I don't care. I identify with the millennials, all right? No, I'm kidding. But listen, hey, I want to see God work in my generation. I want to see God work today. I want to see God pour out his Holy Spirit in Paris, Texas, beginning right here in Calvary Chapel, Paris, and see what he does in my life, in your life. It's for today. Not only is it, it's not only for ministers or missionaries or crazy people. Okay? It's not just for crazy people. Now granted, there are some crazies out there. I'm not going to name any names, okay? But listen, <laughs> sometimes the crazy people, they ruin it for everybody, don't they? But sometimes there's crazy people that are really genuine and sincere. And we got to realize that too. And we shouldn't just throw all this out, throw the baby out with the bathwater because there's a few crazy people. Number three, it's not just for a select few or a privileged group or the spiritually mature alone. It is for all who believe. We're going to close our service today with the Lord's Supper. So the worship team is going to come out. And the ushers are going to, part the, uh, they're going to pass out the elements of the Lord's Supper today. And I'm going to lead you in taking that. But as soon as we're finished with the Lord's Supper, I'm going to ask that our leadership team take their positions around the outside areas of the sanctuary and here in the front well, they'll be in the corners, the sides, the corners here in the front, and here on the uh, up front. And, and, and we're going to be available for anybody that's just listened to this study, and the Lord is speaking to your heart, and you're going, yeah, that's for me. I'm desperate for the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. And you, by faith, want to come out of your seat and get prayed for. We'll be here to pray for you for that. Not just that, we're available to pray for anything that's going on in your life. If you're facing a struggle, if something's going on and you need prayer, hey, we're here for that today as well. So let's, let's take this moment and uh, I just want to close with prayer and then we'll go into the Lord's Supper this morning and then after that, uh, the, the, the men and women will spread out throughout the sanctuary here and in the corners and sides and front as well as the back and we are available just to pray for anybody that's just, man, You want to step out in faith and say, look, this is resonating. This is speaking to me. God is calling me to do this. I'd never heard this taught before, or I didn't understand this, or I had this question. Or maybe you have a question. You want to talk to somebody about that, please come and find us. We would love to do that. So let's pray.